Imposter syndrome is that feeling that you don't belong in a particular space. Usually it's because there's some criteria you're not meeting. I mean, honestly, who doesn't suffer from imposter syndrome? Well, tell you who. People who feel entitled or like the world owes them something. These aren't the sorts of people that we want to emulate because they take way more than they give. Being generous by giving your time or your energy or engaging with your vulnerability means being in constant contact with your imposter syndrome. Today, I'm not going to tell you how it's wrong or how you should ignore it because like a toddler in a supermarket, it's only going to scream louder. Instead, let's work with it, have a conversation with it and see if we can't call its bluff. Welcome to The Helpful Podcaster. I'm Mark Stedman and I'm here to help you, the seasoned, soulful entrepreneur, build trust and create long-lasting, rewarding relationships with your podcast listeners. So we're going to talk about imposter syndrome. Let's face it, we're all winging it, right? To some degree, every one of us. And I know that can be hard to really get your mind around, but I have conversations all the time with people I think are just geniuses. They're brilliant at what they do. They, In their zone of genius, they are remarkable. And that's why it's their zone of genius. But catch them in something that is not an area of their expertise, and they're a very different person. I can present reasonably confidently when I'm sat here on the mic. I can also edit. I have that privilege. But put me in a situation where I'm in a physical space with other human beings, and it's a very, very different score. I'm a very different person. And I have much less of that surety than I do even over Zoom. So let's have a look at some of the ways we can deal with imposter syndrome first. And then I want to get into the heart of that scary question of, but what if it's right? So here's some of the ways that we can have a little tussle with imposter syndrome if, if we need to, when, when we need to. First off, we want to acknowledge and address it. It's no good ignoring it. Like I said at the beginning, it's only going to scream louder. If you've ever read, there's a phenomenal book called The Chimp Paradox. And it's worth remembering that our imposter syndrome is doing what the lizard brain or the chimp, um, as, as the book has it, is trying to do. It's trying to protect us from something. I think a lot of the time, imposter syndrome is trying to protect us from shame. It's trying to protect us from going too far outside of our comfort zone and doing something that's going to make us look silly or is going to result in some kind of banishment from the tribe. And because banishment has historically meant death, that then raises all our fight and flight responses. So if we ignore that voice... It's only going to scream louder because it wants to help. It is there to help. As negative and as difficult as it can be, it is trying to help because it's trying to protect us. It's trying to keep us safe in our little bubble. So we as podcasters, we can focus on what makes us unique and what we can offer because one of the most common things that we face is, well, what have I got to say? What unique perspective have I got? And sometimes it's not even about a unique perspective. Sometimes it's just about your take, your 
your voice, the way you present ideas, they are just going to resonate with certain people. In the same way, if you think about how many coaches there are in the world, it's because different coaches are going to, whether it's different methods or just personalities, they're going to resonate with different people. So focus on what makes you unique, what makes you interesting. Something else that imposter syndrome is going to thrive on is uncertainty and a lack of knowledge. So one of the things you can do is do your research. I talked about calling its bluff. If it asks you questions, if it brings up doubts, see if you can't answer those. Take take a bit of time. If it's telling you you can't do something or several other people have done this particular thing or how many people are really going to listen or care about this, go out and see if you can find those numbers. Because on one hand, it might mean that you actually find some information that makes you think, okay, perhaps I I do need to have a, a quick change in the way that I'm addressing this because yeah maybe the the market here is is either too big you know therefore I need to niche down or it's you know whatever it is so feed that imposter syndrome a little bit feed that fear by giving it some information i mean that's not going to make it go away it's just going to then start asking more questions but it's something we can do one of the things that i think is useful as well is Asking the five whys. So this, I believe, is a Japanese technique, and it's a way of taking a question or a statement and asking why that thing is true. And you keep going until you get to... It doesn't have to be five. It could be three. It, you know, maybe it could be more. Until you sort of get to an essential truth. And if you keep asking your imposter syndrome, if you keep challenging it, in constructive ways, rather than try to gainsay it, rather than try to say, that's not true. If it says, your voice is annoying, for example, and you say, no, it isn't, that's not going to help because all it can do is go, yeah, it is. And you just go back and forth. If you ask it, what exactly is annoying about my voice? It might say, it's nasal. Okay, who has ever said, my voice is nasal? Oh, um, two people. Okay. So two people in the entirety of the people that I've spoken to in the world have said, I have a, a nasal voice. Yeah. Okay. Now, I'm not necessarily asking why questions, but each time I'm digging down into the specifics here. And at some point, what's going to happen is either your imposter syndrome is going to start giving kind of vague non-specific answers or it's going to maybe just say yeah but, well you're annoying so basically it's just going to go yeah but your mom and when that happens you know it's got nothing else to actually offer you because like i said it is trying to offer you stuff it's trying to help you but when you get to that last point where it just sort of has nothing and all it can do is just is just go on vague fear of just a sense of, yeah, but, but, ah, if that's kind of all it can offer you, then at that point, you can sort of go, okay, no, I understand. I acknowledge you're frightened and you're trying to keep me safe, but we've just had a conversation about why I don't think these things are true. If you've got something else to offer, then 
and they, you know, really play this conversation out. If you've got something else to offer, then then absolutely offer it up. Otherwise, if it's okay with you, I'm going to move on. Imposter syndrome feeds on a variety of different things. It has quite a varied diet. Perfectionism, comparisons with other people, especially the problem with comparisons is that we can't compare. You know the phrase, right? Don't compare your outsides to someone else's insides or the other way around, right? You know that that adage. We can't see how other sausages are made. All we can see is the sausage. And yet, we compare our sausages to theirs because we know what's gone into ours. We do it all the time. And it's not, yes, we talk about social media and Instagram and whatever as a way of, of seeing the, the rose-tinted lives that people lead, but it, it goes far beyond that. Another thing that it wants to do is discount your achievements. It wants to say, well, that, that didn't count. And again, this is your invitation to go, why? Why didn't that particular one count? Well, because, uh, you know, whether it's an award that you won or it's some sort of recognition that you received. Yeah, well, but it didn't go all the way through. For example, I was invited to be a keynote speaker at a conference this year. Now, uh, the conference was supposed to be happening this month and for reasons it didn't. Uh, basically, I think just a lack of organisation <laughs> uh, from, from what I can gather. Does that mean that I am any less worthy of having given that keynote? No, it doesn't. It doesn't mean anything about me. It, it's, it's simply a reflection on the conference itself. One of the things that we, we tend to do as, as a partner to that discounting achievements thing is, is to overgeneralise. So I might say, well, you know, I never get any opportunities because that's just proven it. I didn't get to give that keynote speech because, of course, the thing didn't work out because it never does. I never get those opportunities. And, you know, there's so many questions you can ask that of, of that then. You, you can say, well, how many have you actually sought out? Like, how many have you looked for? Well, none. I mean, they're supposed to come to me. Are they? Are opportunities just supposed to come to you? Like, is that how is that how it works? You know, again, having these conversations... Imposter syndrome loves to feed on failure or the fear of failure. That's one of its big things, and we're going to talk about that in a second. And it relies on external validation. Again, a little bit like the comparison thing. It wants extrinsic proof of our greatness rather than us knowing that we put the hours in, knowing that we put the time in, because we know that, because we can feel it. And we'll talk about that a little bit later as well. So let's have a look at this um, fear of failure, particularly, because I think public failure is something that we have to contend with. We are putting our voices out there, and it's no good pretending that that's not something that, that might cross our mind. Whether you are one episode or a 100 episodes in, at various points. It might not be to do with your podcast. It might be because someone invites you onto theirs. It might be because someone wants you to give a panel discussion or a, or a talk or a keynote. You're at some point related to your podcast, you're going to face this fear of public failure. So one of the, some, some of the invitations that, that I can give to you are to view setbacks as opportunities 
to learn. So this is the, it's all that growth mindset stuff. View any type of negativity, negative feedback, for example, because that's what we're worried about, right? What if I, I go on someone's show and I'm not at my best or I was asked a tricky question and I didn't have an answer to it? Now, part of my, my belief there is that that's up to the host. The host should hold a safe space for you. And if they didn't, if they caught you out, if they asked you a question and you didn't have a good answer to it, consider whether that's because they should have given you some prep. You know, maybe they tried to to jab a question in there. Normalize mistakes, like make them, normalize them as part of the learning process. Again, if you get something wrong, this is your opportunity to go, okay, I know what I did wrong there. Stick that on the board. That's something I can learn for next time. Or it's something to add to your checklist. You know, checklists come from mistakes, checklists come from oh yeah you know what I didn't think about that or I didn't realize or this thing happened and now I know that I can guard against it so now I can have an item on my checklist that reminds me to make sure that x thing happens and that that will come from uh, a bit of a a bit of a slip up or a mistake try and talk yourself down as a friend would as close friend especially I know, again, it's, it's something that you, you've probably heard, but would you allow a friend, a really good friend, to talk to you in the way you or your imposter syndrome does? You wouldn't tolerate it, would you? You'd say, "Don't, that's my friend, don't talk about my friend like that. I think sometimes maybe there's this idea that we need to hear it or it's tough love or whatever, and I'll ask you, when has that ever helped? And is it really tough love or is it cruelty? And so try and have a conversation. Imagine a conversation with someone who loves you and cares about you and wants you to succeed. So sticking with this question of how do we deal with the fear of failure? Focus on the progress that you've made and the effort that you've made, rather than solely on the outcomes. Judge the output rather than the outcomes. It's the same thing that we do when we talk about setting goals. You want to set goals that are based on what you do, not what the end result is, or more to the point, not how other people judge that end result, because you can't control that. So, Focus on on the progress that you've made. Focus on the incremental improvements. Am I 1% better than I was last week? Is this episode 1% better than it was last week? By any kind of metric, do I feel like I've moved the needle? And again, I'm going to have a, a sort of a, a quick parting question for you uh, uh, towards the end around that. This one's really important. Surround yourself with a supportive community. That could be friends, that could be colleagues. Again, people who have got your best interests at heart, people who want you to succeed, people who want you to do well, but people who don't want you to look like a tit. <laughs> Lean on them when you need them. Ask them for, for advice and support and feedback, but also don't be afraid to go to them with some vulnerability and just say, I could use a couple of minutes to just to help 
me through a conversation I'm having with my imposter, with my imposter syndrome, and and maybe they can reflect some of these questions back to you and and ask some rational questions, ask that sort of eh, is that true though questions, ask those sorts of things when your imposter syndrome flares up. Stay connected to your purpose and your passion. Remember why you're doing this. Remember who you're doing it for. And I think that goes a long way. Whenever I've had those moments where I've been whining in my own head about not getting a particular thing that I that I wanted or not being in the position that I wanted to be in or whatever, I go back to a question or a sense or a feeling of service. And I find that really helpful. It just reconnects me with well, who am I actually trying to help and how am I trying to help? And, and actually the fact that I am trying to help. There's something about that act of reconnecting with the purpose and that fuel, that passion. Something about that helps me a great deal. And embrace vulnerability as a strength for making real, authentic um, connections. Fear is a natural part of life. It's a natural thing that we that we need. Vulnerability can can lead to really interesting connections because it's exposing a little bit of ourselves. This is one of the things that I would say I respectfully disagree with Seth Godin about. I think there is space. He he doesn't necessarily have a lot of my understanding anyway. If I read if I read what he says right. He doesn't have a lot of time for what he calls authenticity. He want, he says you should be a professional because that's what people are looking for. And I get that, but I also think people are looking for human connection. And I think there's a great deal of value to be had in just reminding people every now and again that you are a human because I think those things can bring us closer together because it's not all about the work. It's not always about the output. It's about who puts that out <laughs> okay so that's all well and good we've we've got some some sort of definitions we've got some of the things that, that we know imposter syndrome feeds on we've got some ways that we can potentially combat it and some ways that we can particularly look at fear and fear of failure so that's all well and good but what if it's right what if your imposter syndrome was right all along what if you're just not good enough or what if you are, but you're just not putting in the effort? Let's address those after this. Okay, so what if your imposter syndrome is right? And I, I genuinely mean that. What if it's giving you good information? What do we do then? Because, like I said, it's there to protect us. What if it's giving us data that it then turns out is true? So firstly... If we look at good enough, who decides what good enough is? How will you know when you've reached that good enough? How do you know when you're finished? How do you know when, when good enough is good enough? And can good enough be reframed to well, good enough for now? It doesn't have to be good enough forever. Maybe it is just good enough, but just for now. It, 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 it will do for now. That's, like, that's, that's, that's good enough. For now. So I want to go back to that question of who decides what good enough is. 
Is there one person? Is there a group of people? Do they all decide on the same thing? Do they all have the same idea of what good enough is? Or is it, I know it when I see it? Well, if you know it when you see it, do the other people know it when they see it? And do they see the same thing? It's completely subjective. What good enough is, is completely subjective. And so what we have to connect with there or contend with is who is good enough? Are we going, whose yardstick are we going to measure by? Who is good enough is the question. And I think probably if you're honest, it's you. And if you have any kind of shred of perfectionism in you, or if you care even a bit about the work that you do, that's probably really hard. It's probably really difficult to find that good enough to give yourself the permission to go, you know what? That, that's good enough. That that was good. Because there's a big difference. It's one word, two syllables, enough. That's good versus it's good enough. There is uh, good enough that it just scrapes over the bar or yeah, that meets the standard. And it has to be your standard that you set. Going back to the extrinsic validation thing, it's no good trying to use someone else's yardstick unless you can really look at that and go those are values that you share as well those are also how you think of quality or what you perceive to be quality what you perceive to be good enough if it's someone else's then that's not a firm enough stick to plant in the ground or you know like a flagpole to put in the ground it's always going to shift because it's not really connected with who you are you've got to find what good enough is, and then probably be okay with the fact that you might not always hit it because you're going to set standards that are higher for yourself than they are for other people that, or that um, higher than your listeners are going to set them. So the next question then is, what if you are good enough? Like generally speaking, but you're just not trying hard enough or you're not prioritizing the right things. You're not using your time effectively and putting the, the right priorities in place. Okay, well, who said that things have to be hard or hard fought in order to be good? Paul McCartney apparently heard yesterday in a dream, and then he wrote it, he wrote the lyrics on a bus ride or a train ride in five hours. Bruce Springsteen plays super long gigs, and Paul McCartney has slightly um, tongue-in-cheekly complained about this about how long Springsteen's gigs are. So you could say, one could make the argument that Paul McCartney doesn't try because he just tossed off that song in a, in a dream. There are other songs, I, I believe it was um, Simply Having a Wonderful Christmas Time that was written in something like half an hour. So you've got, on one hand, you've got Paul McCartney who, on the face of it, doesn't try. And then you've got Springsteen, for whom you might make the argument he's trying too hard to perhaps he's trying to make up for some perceived shortcomings. All of it is perception. We have no idea how hardworking either of them are or what it took for them to get to the point where things feel easy for them. What resonates with some is not going to resonate with others. Some people are going to dig McCartney, some people are going to dig Springsteen. And they may have their reasons, but ultimately it's not because one of them tries harder than the other, whoever you think tries harder. So ultimately, this is the question you have to ask yourself. When you're evaluating, am I good enough? Is my imposter syndrome right? What if I'm not trying hard enough? Ask yourself this question. Did I do enough today?
if you can say, yeah, I, I think I did, then you're on the right track. You don't need to do anything more. I give you my permission to go to bed with a clean conscience. Because that's it. You did enough today. Well done. If you say, ah, I don't, I don't think so. I think I, I think, I think I could have done, well, I was going to say, I think I could have done more. We can always have done more. That's not what I asked. That's not the question. The question is, did I do enough today? And if you, honestly, if the answer comes back, ah, I don't think so, then simply ask yourself, okay, what one thing could I do better next time? Or what one thing did I miss out that I could do next time? Or could I spend one minute longer on this thing? Ask that without judgment. Ask that without any sense of rebuke. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to tell yourself off. You've got a lot going on. And it's not as if your podcast is a job that's paying you a load of money. Yes, it's something you care about, but it's only one part of your very important life. And you've got to get that balance right. So really ask yourself that question. Anytime that you're feeling, you know, you've put an episode out or it's feeling difficult to get one out or you're maybe you've had to rush one or whatever it is. Ask yourself that question. Did I do enough today? You could ask yourself, like, did I show up today? But I find that a little bit vague and a little bit, you know, as much as I do like Seth Godin, it's it, it's not my language. You know what I mean? It's not it's some some phrases that just they 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 sort of turn to ash in my mouth, not because they're bad. They just don't belong in, you know, amidst my cheeks. Um, but I can ask myself authentically and honestly, did I do enough today? And I can ask that in lots of different areas in my life. And the answer will be different. And all I can ever say to myself is, okay, if the answer's no, then what can I do differently tomorrow? So how has this landed for you? If you're a member of our helpful podcasters community, please drop a comment on this episode's post and, uh, and we can have a chat about it. And if you're not already with us, you can rectify that immediately by going to thehelpfulpodcaster.com slash join. Thank you for listening and let's do this together.